The story started, so it looks like, 12 years before. We could guess the story started for both of them on the same year at least, maybe the same month, maybe even the same day. On one side of town, there was a woman who began her monthly period. Nothing out of the ordinary, right? It's something that had happened to her for years and years and years. Her mom, years before, had had that sacred conversation about what was happening to her body. And every month thereafter, this once a girl, now a woman, would follow the Jewish rituals and regulations for purity. Nothing new. Nothing to think twice about. Another week being away from others. Unclean, but perfectly normal. That's how the story started for her. But across town, another woman was screaming. She was crying. She was in the middle of labor giving birth to her daughter, a baby girl. The agony of labor was far eclipsed by the unspeakable joy of a new healthy baby girl and the dad, all the dad, a leader in the community, a ruler in the church, weeping tears of unmeasurable delight. He could see the milestones in his mind's eye even before they happened. The girl's first breath, the girl's first smile, her, her first laugh. Her first time standing, first time stepping, first time falling and skinning her knee, first time bleeding, first birthday, first time at school, first time she had her monthly period. And I bet the guy shuddered at that, and he's like, wait, not yet. First time she turns 12 years old and one day when by custom she would be considered a woman and able to marry. But not that fast, Dad. He's in the middle of the moment right there. His day was anything but normal welcoming a child. Both the woman and the child may have seen each other around town for those 12 years. The little girl leaping and laughing in the arms of her dad and her mom bumping into people in the crowds while the woman stayed on the outskirts. She stayed away from people. She stayed to the side, unclean from a condition that had started 12 years earlier, something normal, but then didn't stop. On the day the little girl was born, she had the blood of birth washed away from her. But the woman had not stopped bleeding. The mom, the dad, the daughter, they may have known parts of that woman's story. They may have seen her around town, but they would have stayed away. Especially the dad. As a religious leader, he would have done all he could to remain ritually clean. And to do so, he had to stay away from people like her in her condition. Who would have known that 12 years later, 12 years after a very normal start to a day, and 12 years after a very not normal start when a baby was born, both women and the mom and the dad would reach the end of their rope on that same day. Do we know the story? Let's pray. God, I want your story to come alive today to us. I want us to experience it in a new way. Ultimately, I want to hear your heart. I want to feel your heart. I want us to leave ready to share your heart. I ask that you would make that happen. In Jesus' name, amen. So grab a Bible, whether paper or digital, 
and turn with me to Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, If you are new here with us in person today, or if you're watching online and you have not uh, joined us before, we are walking through the life story of Jesus very slowly, very purposefully, very deliberately, and we're looking at who Jesus lets in. Now, by lets in, I mean who he engages, who he talks to, who he welcomes, who he invites, who he says, let me let you experience the kingdom of God today, right now, in this moment. Our sermon series is called Offensive Christianity, Who's In, Who's Out? Now, that's the series title has caught some people's attention. They're like, yes, we get to come see all these people that Jesus is keeping out. But as we've seen over the last two months of this series, the gospel is not offensive because of who it keeps out, but because of who it lets in. Even people like me. Even people like you. In the first five and a half chapters of this story, we've seen Jesus inviting in a whole lot of people. And we've seen him deliberately keeping out no one. They've all been invited. Not everybody has accepted that invitation, but they've been invited. Today we come to a familiar story. One that if you've spent any time in church before, you've more than likely heard it. The story of a bleeding woman. The story of a dad whose daughter is dying. Traditionally, this story is taught from the perspective of faith. Right, The faith of a woman, the faith of a dad. I read this story through a different lens this past week. I read it through the lens of Jesus welcoming in people who have reached the end of their rope. Now, you guys, you guys know what I mean when I use that phrase, right? End of your rope? It means you've got nothing left. You're ready to throw in the towel. You're ready to give up. You've got nothing to fight. You've got no other options. Jesus, surprise, surprise, welcomes those who are at the end of you. Your rope. You ever been there? (laughs) Amen. Every single person more than likely has been there. Let me show you what I mean by Jesus welcoming people at the end of the rope. This story picks up right after the story we, we told last week where Jesus healed the, uh, the demoniac in the, uh, the graveyards of the Gerasenes. Mark 5, verse 21. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. It seems like every Sunday I've been saying, huh, another day? Another ride in a boat, another crowd, and here we see it again. Jesus hasn't even stepped out of the boat. His sandals are still dripping, and he's got crowds engaging him, saying, we need, we want help. Jesus got into the boat again, went to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come, lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. And verse 24 says, Jesus went with him. And all the crowds followed, crowding around him. Without looking at your Bible, what was the dad's name? Jairus. He was at the end of his rope. He was frantic, he was terrified, he was panicked, he was desperate. And as a leader of the synagogue, of course he's going to go to Jesus for help, right? I mean, of course he's going to go to Jesus for assistance. Of course he'd be quick to ask Jesus. I mean, didn't all the religious leaders of the day get together for coffee and donuts? 
Wouldn't Jesus and Jairus have sat next to each other at the ecumenical prayer meeting held at the governor's mansion? Wouldn't Jesus and Jairus have exchanged business cards at the Monday morning prayer breakfast where they said their morning prayers together? Wouldn't that have happened? Nope. Doubtful, most likely, it would not have happened. As a leader of the local synagogue, Jairus would have no doubt have been familiar with who Jesus was. He would have no doubt have known some of the things that Jesus was doing. Maybe he had even seen some of the things Jesus had been doing. Bare minimum, on Sabbath morning, his congregants would have come and said, Pastor, Pastor, did you know what Jesus did? That's bare minimum, but Jairus would have been leery. He would have been hesitant. He may have been one of the religious leaders who was vocal against Jesus for the people Jesus was hanging out with. Read Mark chapter 2 if you don't remember that story. According to the religious establishment, though Jesus may have been doing some good things, he was doing them on the wrong days and with the wrong people. And Jairus would not have wanted to be associated with this rogue rabbi. He would not have wanted his name to be in association with Jesus' name when Herod Antipas heard about this new kingdom that this Jesus character kept talking about, and Herod sends the, the armies to go and shut it down. Nah, Jairus wouldn't have wanted anything to do with Jesus, but there was no good reason for him to go to Jesus that day unless he had no other choice, unless he was at the end of his rope which the story shows and says. A religious leader in the community falling at the feet of a rogue rabbi? Unheard of. A man of the cloth begging, fervently pleading, wouldn't have happened. Okay, Why didn't Jairus send a messenger? Why didn't he send a slave? I mean, he would have been high enough in society to have those. Why did Jairus leave the bedside of his daughter as she was taking her final breaths? This past Friday, my wife and I and extended family remembered the anniversary of my father-in-law's passing eight years ago. I still remember it vividly. My wife would call me. I'd be be at home. She'd be at the hospital. She's in an ICU. And when we realized that his days were few, she would not leave his bedside. There was nothing that would take a daughter away from her dad's side. So why would Jairus leave his daughter's side? her deathbed, to go and beg a rogue rabbi for help, to go and say, I want my daughter to live. Why? Because he was at the end of his rope. And verse 24 tells us Jesus went with Jairus. I love it. It's as simple as that. Jesus didn't ask her name, didn't ask her birthday, didn't ask if she'd been to Sunday school for the last 36 weeks. He just went. And then Jairus' story gets interrupted. I love that. Mark is such a good storyteller. Jesus went with him. So you see this dad frantic, panicked, and Jesus starts to go. You know, we've never seen Jesus run in here. He's always moving, but he's never in a hurry. So Jairus is probably trying to get him to walk a little bit faster, and then Jesus gets interrupted. Verse 24, Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. And a woman in the crowd who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She was there. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay for them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. 
Here's the other story, the other woman from across town that we started with, right? Twelve years before, she had started her monthly period, and it hadn't stopped. We don't know that for sure, but that's what most people assume was taking place. Whatever the case, 12 years of bleeding, 12 years. I mean, this woman had to be clinging to life just as much as Jairus' daughter. 12 years of being separated from the community, from being separated from loved ones. If you read the Hebrew law, you know that when a woman is in that time of the month, she is considered unclean. Nobody could touch her, her clothing, the chair she sat on, the bed she laid on. You just, you were separated from community. Listen to Leviticus chapter 15, verse 25. It says, if a woman has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is ceremonially unclean. As during her menstrual period, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. Twelve years of being unclean. Twelve years of being an outsider. Twelve years of no handshakes, no high fives, no hugs from her family. And this woman had tried everything to get fixed. She'd seen every doctor. She'd put out every dollar she had. Sufferings untold and she got no better. Now, I don't want to assume anything, but you know she didn't have an urgent care to go to, right? You know that. You know that she couldn't go see Dr. Frank, who was uh, was a longtime OBGYN. He's watching online because he's been uh, feeling under the weather this week. She couldn't go see him. And you know that the practice of medicine back then was a little less scientific than it is today? Our scriptures, the Old Testament, does not give a specific treatment for the condition the woman had, but the Talmud does. For those that don't know what that is, that's a Jewish, uh, that's a Jewish extra-biblical compilation of commentaries on, on Jewish history, on Mosaic law, and the application of the law. Okay, so they, they had their Old Testament scriptures, which is our our, our, our Old Testament, their Hebrew scriptures. And then, then they had this other thing that's kind of like unpacked it and kind of made it bigger and broader, all right? So I want to cite my source just so you know I'm not making this up. This is from the Babylonian Talmud in the Tractate Shabbat, which is the treatise on the laws regarding the Sabbath, folio number 110 A and B. In that, we get 11 treatments for excessive bleeding. I'm not going to read all 11, but I want to share a couple of them because I want you to experience what this woman might have gone through. All right? One possible treatment. The woman was to boil various things in wine, okay, like Persian onions, cumin, saffron, or a fern. Boil them in wine, and then the suffering woman was supposed to hold this concoction and declare out loud, cease your discharge. Dr. Frank's laughing too. I can hear him through the screen. All right, now if that didn't work, get all the ingredients again, boil the wine again, go to a crossroads in a trail and sit there holding this up while a man snuck up behind you to scare you. And when he scared you, he yelled, cease your discharge. I mean, it sounds like trying to get rid of the hiccups. These are written down. Okay, I'm not making this up. Multiple sources confirm this. If those didn't work, the woman was supposed to cover her entire lower half in flour. 
All right. These, these next two, I kid you not, are in there. For somebody going through excessive bleeding that won't stop, the woman was supposed to carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen rag in the summertime or a cotton rag in the winter. The doctors? Anybody? Sounds good? Yeah? It gets better. I'm going to say this with a straight face. You guys feel free to laugh, okay? If that didn't work, she was supposed to fetch the barley grain found in the dung of a white mule. Straight face. Go ahead. Y'all laugh. She was supposed to dig through the poo of a white mule and get the barley grain and hold it in her hand. You hold it in your hand one day, you'd stop bleeding for a day. You hold it in your hand for three days, you stop bleeding forever. That's the practice of medicine that she was going through. We may laugh at this in 2022, but she was going to all lengths that she could, all measures, every doctor, every healer around, and she spent every penny she had for the practice of medicine on her, and yet she just got worse. You know where she was? At the end of a rope. But she'd heard about this guy named Jesus. It was possible she had heard that by touching him, you could get better. I mean, that's what was taking place. Think back a couple of Sundays ago, another boat ride, another, you know, another day on the water, another day with Jesus. Mark chapter 3, verse 9, Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd would not crush him. He had healed many people that day, so all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. The woman may have heard that. She may have heard those stories. So go back to her story, end of verse 26. She had not gotten any better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus. So she came up from behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. How do we know what she was thinking? She had to tell somebody, right? Somebody had to pass it on to somebody who passed it on to Peter, who passed it on to Mark, who wrote it down. If I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Now, a lot of pastors are going to spend like six months preaching on the next 15 verses. I'm going to spend like six minutes, maybe seven, preaching on them. So just hold on. We're going to go through pretty quickly, but I want you to see that in these next 15 verses, Jesus is welcoming in those who are at the end of their rope. And he's doing so in the most amazing of ways. Verse 28, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And immediately the bleeding stopped. She could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd of people and he asked, who touched my robe? Who touched my robe? And his disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing in around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told, her, told him what she had done. This woman finds herself at the same place that Jairus found himself not too long before. At the feet of Jesus, 
Maybe she had seen Jairus, who for years and years she had seen walking around her, and now she's at the same place that Jairus was, right? She may have tried to listen to Jairus' sermons from outside the tent where, she was pre- where he was preaching because she wouldn't have been allowed inside because she, she was bleeding, right? And now she finds herself the same place Jairus was moments ago. She's at Jesus' feet, frantic, desperate, terrified, panicked, but she knew something had happened. She knew it within herself. She felt it is what verse 39, 29 says. So in verse 33, we get this picture of this woman who is at the end of her rope. I mean, probably just white as a ghost, hardly any blood left in her. And it says, then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell, at, fell to her knees in front of Jesus and told him what she had done. And Jesus replied, why did you wait so long, woman? Why did you not come to me sooner? Have you tried the doctor in the town next door? I heard that he's actually curing excessive bleeding by frying camel eggs, mixing them with salsa, and you put it on your left earlobe. Did you hear that? Why did you not come sooner? Why? You sure as shooting shouldn't have touched me because now I'm unclean and I have to take seven days off from ministry. Come on, woman. That's what Jesus said, isn't it? <laughs> you guys couldn't wait to say no on that one. <laughs> no, pastor, stop telling the story wrong. No. Listen, I don't have scientific proof for this, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the worst thing you can say to somebody when they are at the end of their rope is, why didn't you try this? How come you didn't go to there? Did you think of, that's the worst thing you can say. And Jesus didn't say that. Verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. I read that this past week up in my office, and I realized that my cheeks were getting a little bit wet because my eyes were sweating. (laughs) Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. In the kindest and the most gentlest of voices, Jesus was thumbing his nose at at the ritual purity laws. He is choosing a trembling, tired soul over tradition. And Jesus calls her daughter. I what that must have felt like for her who hadn't interacted with people for 12 years. He speaks of her part in the healing. He speaks of, of the, the fact that she can go away in peace. He assures her of what she already felt inside, that her suffering was over. And I wonder what happened to her next. Right? Who did she go and talk to? What was her first stop after this? We don't know. Because we never hear from her or see her again. And yet we know that this woman was at the end of her rope and that Jesus reached out and gave her her life back. When she had no more places to reach, Jesus reached out and gave her her life back. 
And the storyteller, Mark, doesn't miss a beat. Immediately, he says, right, which is how quickly the woman was healed and how quickly Jesus knew that power had gone out of him. Immediately, he brings our eyes back, our focus back to Jairus, the synagogue leader, the dad of the daughter who was dying. And we can only imagine what Jairus was going through when Jesus was talking to the woman, right? He's probably like, Jesus, let's keep going, right? I mean, put yourself in his shoes minutes. He figured he only had minutes, and yet Jesus stops to take time with this woman. And then, and then the moment he had been dreading happened. The moment he had been doing everything he could to prevent happened. Verse 35, while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Your daughter is dead. Abby and I have been walking with a family these last five or six weeks who lost their daughter unexpectedly. I can't even begin to fathom. I can't begin to imagine what's going through their minds. I can't believe, begin to imagine what's going through Jairus' mind. I mean, if he wasn't flailing, let yet he is now. He went from the end of his rope to nothing to grasp to falling fast. And yet Jesus welcomes in those who are at the end of his rope, those who are at the end of their ropes. He turns to Jairus and he says, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd, and he wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside, and he asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. Now, the crowd laughed at him, But he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying, and holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Ka'um, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately, great word, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed, and Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and then he told them to give her something to eat. I can't even begin to fathom the emotional roller coaster ride that family had been on that day. What illness did the girl have? How long had she been sick? I mean, for all we know, she could have started her monthly period a few months before and something went wrong and just didn't start and she was bleeding out. We don't know what her ailment was. We, we do know what Jesus did. The first thing he does is he turns to Jairus and gently says, Don't be afraid. Just have faith. And then if you fast forward in the story, there's crowds, there's weeping, there's wailing, there's music, there's mourning. Jesus says to the crowds, you guys stay here. He says to mom, dad, Pete, Jimmy, and Johnny, you guys come here. And they go on into the house. And and once again, Jesus reaches over the purity laws. He does the unthinkable for a rabbi. Leviticus 21 says a, a rabbi should not do this. He does the unthinkable for a rabbi, reaching out and touching a dead body. Numbers chapter 19, verse 11 says, All those who touch a dead human body will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. So does that add to Jesus' seven days already from the woman who had touched him? I mean, that's 14. He's a, he gets a two-week vacation. 
he could use it. Three verses later, 19, uh, 13 in Numbers, all those who touch a dead body and do not purify themselves in the proper way, I don't know if Jesus did, they defile the Lord's tabernacle and they will be cut off from the community of Israel since the water of purification was not sprinkled on them, their defilement continues. Jesus reaches out, holds the woman's, the girl's hand, just like interacting with the, with the, the bleeding woman. He touches somebody unclean. He chooses a person over a church policy or procedure. Jesus chooses a person over a church policy or procedure. And then he speaks words of gentleness, compassion, love and tenderness. Verse 41, holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Ka'um. Talitha Ka'um, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old, the same age as the amount of time the woman had been bleeding, the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. If you don't know ancient Aramaic, which I don't, Talitha means little girl, right? Thank you, Mark, for translating that into the ancient, uh, into the English. It's a term of endearment. Kyle, I'll put you on the spot. What's a term of endearment that you call any one of your girls? Uh, mermaids. mermaids. Okay. I don't quite know if Jesus would have been calling her a mermaid, <laughs> but let me go with somebody else. Who else has daughters? <laughs> we can... Becky, what do you call Layla? Honey? Yeah. Yeah, this is what Jesus was doing. This was a a pet name, not like a, you know, a pet dog, but like a, a term of endearment. He was essentially saying, sweetie, mermaid. I, I get the picture of a, of a tender father trying to wake his daughter up in the middle of the night when they're going out for a long journey, right? Sweetie, sweetie, it's time to get up. Don't be scared. It's, it's time to get up. Did the little girl need this term of endearment? No, she was dead. Right? So who needed to hear it? The parents. The same parents who Jesus had turned to and said, don't be afraid. When someone is at the end of their rope, again, I didn't do scientific research on this, but you don't raise your voice with them, right? You ease in calmly, quietly. You put an arm around. You speak words of affirmation, words of love, words of compassion, words of presence. And that's what Jesus does. First, he turns to the dad and says, don't be afraid. Just have faith. And then he turns to the girl, but he's speaking to the, to the parents and says, Sweetie, it's time to get up. And she does. Immediately, she gets up. And mommy and daddy are dumbfounded, floored. Like the text says, they were totally overwhelmed and completely amazed. One moment devastated and the next moment delighted. And that's an understatement. Jesus welcomes. He ushers in. He invites those at the end of their rope. And he says, let me give you a hand. What a story. Amen? 
What a story. It had started 12 years earlier, perhaps the same month, maybe even the same day. Little did the woman know, little did the mom and dad and the baby girl who was just born know that their worlds would forever be tied together by a rope that they were reaching the end of on the very same day. So what do we do with this? So what? Right? We could all leave and you guys could say, hey, good story, Pastor. Thank you. Okay? I don't want that today. I I liked it. It was good. Um, But I want to leave you with two things today. I haven't done that too often in this series. Okay? I want to leave you with two tangible things. The the first is this. Um, I've been telling you for several times over the last eight weeks, when we see who Jesus is inviting in, I want you guys to look for those same people out there. Okay, so I want you to look around at the world you live in, at the people you rub shoulders with, at those you do life with. Look and see if you see anyone at the end of their rope. Do you see anybody who's about to throw in the towel? Do you see anybody who is about to give up? And when you do, not if, when you do, do what Jesus did. Reach out. Grab a hand. Speak gently. Invite in. Do you got it? Okay. And then give them something to eat, like a cookie or cake or smoked salmon or a burger or your leftover Halloween candy. Any of I'm just preaching from the word, guys. Jesus told them, give her something to eat. So we should follow that, right? If you see someone at the end of their rope, do what Jesus did. Reach out, grab a hand, speak gently, and invite in. I'm going to give you a warning, though. I'm going to give you a heads up. Jesus thumbed his nose at ritual and chose relationship. Jesus looked past the religious handbook and chose humanity. There's a good chance that Jesus is going to show you somebody who's at the end of the rope who you may think is unclean who the church may have kept out, and he's going to say to you, there's your person. Go to them. Welcome them. Let them in. And when you hear that, you better listen. Look around and you will see these people because the world we live in is already at the end of its rope. That's the first thing. Okay. Second thing is this. Perhaps today you may be the one who's at the end of your rope. I don't want to look past that. Perhaps today today you're sitting here recognizing that's me. Different story, different time, but same situation. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. You've tried everything. You don't know what to do. Let me tell you, you've just heard a story about a man named Jesus who will reach out and grab your hand. A man who will be present with you. I'm not going to promise you that God will do the same thing miraculously and immediately like he's done to the people in our story. I can't promise that. I'm not going to tell you that he'll, he'll do that. Could he? Yes. Will he the way you want to? I don't know. But what I can know is this. Jesus will speak tenderly to you. He will hold you through whatever you're going through, even if it doesn't feel like it. And I do know that he's ready for you to come to him. So whether you are a longtime follower of Jesus who's at the end of your rope, or you're, this is the first time you're hearing of this, this person who's wanting to reach out to you, I would invite you, if this is you today, when we are done, 
We're going to have a couple people that are going to be praying. We're going to have Sherry. We're going to have Ron. Uh, If you're on the pastor's cabinet or the board, just be ready. If we have a line, come and pray. Don't leave today. I'm, I'm telling people to look around and look for those at the end of the rope, but they may not see you. So don't leave today if you are at the end of your rope without letting us know. Because then we can see where and how Jesus tells us to walk together with you. Does that make sense? All right, let's pray. God, I don't know if there's somebody in here today who is at the end of their rope. I don't know if there's somebody watching online who may be contemplating uh, finishing their life. But I pray that your words, your story, your invitation for people who are at the end of their rope, I pray that that would be what is heard this morning. God, we have enough people in here to look for those who are at the end of their rope outside in in the societies we live in, in the work that that we work with people in our daily lives. We've got enough people to impact this city. So I ask that this week, Lord, you would help us to see, if nothing else, one person who has reached their point and give us the courage to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. Help us to point them to you. Help us to love them as you love them and as you have loved us. We can only do this through the nudging and the prompting and the guidance of your Holy Spirit. So I ask his help. And I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. I want you to know that clock has said 9.15 for the last, like, since I started preaching, so I'm just going to keep going, okay?